Bring a Trailer podcast. We're welcoming everyone back to the BAT podcast uh, here with Alex Porter, a staffer at the site. And I'm joined again yeah, by Zach, Zach, also, Zach Beatty, also a staffer, also downgraded, staffer. downgraded from his impressive title uh, to staffer. We are both staffers. I uh, love it. Uh, podcast hot start. We're diving right into it. We are uh, talking 10 questions. Oh, Jim Rosenthal. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. God, and, what an impressive background that guy has. Oh. Everyone that we've done, they're like such good reads. But yeah, him in particular, it, it blew me away. Uh, also, the list of cars. Of the oh, owns, my God, dude. Crazy. I know. Um, I was blown away by that, too. I'm so envious of his storage base. Because you can tell it, he clearly has a warehouse or like a yes. super deep garage. And he talked about was, what's up front, which yeah. I like. Like, what do you keep That's up front? Yeah. Laughing at the 3.5 and the 280 mm-hmm. SEL both live up front. Which is smart. Those are the cars I would keep up front. Jim Rosenthal is such an amazing user, and and his collection of cars is great. It's the first just wall of text I've seen from someone answering the question, "What cars do you currently own?" It's an amazing collection of cars that he owns, but also super cool that he was willing to list them all, which uh, I don't know if everyone's always comfortable doing, but a lot of a lot of cool old Mercedes. I love that he snuck in the the low mileage three hundred thirty thousand Tacoma. Yeah, important. We all have one of those that we got to drive around. But that storage base is what I aspire to. With him talking about. The 3.5 Coupe, 280 SEL, and I think the Cobra up front. Oh, that's right. A Kirkham Cobra, which is really cool. I think metal bodied, aluminum bodied. That's the picture in the league. Yeah, all the Kirkhams are alloy. There's no fiberglass Kirkham? I don't think so. Oh, interesting. Today I learned. Really cool feature, really cool user. Uh, We kind of got onto this topic thinking about how we got into cars. Uh, I mean, BAT, for me at least, was a big part of my journey. I mean, one of the things I like about 10 Questions is, you know, it's the kind of stuff that I like to read when I was just a fan of the website more than 10 years ago, right? Like just these posts that Randy would write and, you know, talking about interesting people in the car world. Yeah, I agree. I'm right there with you. Like reading, this is months ago, maybe even over a year ago now, but the 10 Questions with George Dyer, Sebring winner, it's incredible wealth info and for me totally. it's, it's motivating yeah totally totally i mean all these guys are so impressive and and have so much experience and knowledge under their belt i want to drive all those cars every single one of jim rosenthal's cars i was like oh man i would like to drive one of those have you driven a pagoda i know you like pagodas no i've only driven an r107 it's as old as it's a my slightly SL. different driving experience it's been a long time since i drove a pagoda but uh very different as i recall I mean, I'm sure they feel solid and just of Benz's of that era. They're both definitely solid. The no the As I recall, again, it's been a while, 15 or 20 years, but uh, Pagoda is a much lighter uh, car, feels lighter, feels, you know, it's an older, older era of car. Also, the one I drove was a four speed, 284 speed, which is oh, a, nice. a very different, very different program than a, especially a 380 SL with a automatic. How did you know it was a 380 that I drove? I, that was a guess. That was famously not to not to denigrate anyone who loves the 380. But when I used to work on those cars, that was famously the motor you like didn't want. Is that a motorcycle next door? Uh, cool. Must be shop. We'll fire up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a motorcycle shop right next door. So there it is, fired up. I still got to take my moto comp over there to get a carb cleaning. Is that where you're going to get it work done? I think so. It's it's like attached to our building. Why why wouldn't I? No, that makes a lot of sense. Have you driven it? Have you ridden it yet? Yeah, I went on one big moto compo journey around town, and I went to this nice beer and bottle shop and kind of like <laughs> loaded my backpack up with a, a few bottles and then got on the moto compo and it like lost three <laughs> miles an hour off the top speed. You also have to go up your hill on the way back. That was a brave, brave uh, undertaking on your part. Yeah, I actually, this was great. I was like, as leaned over as you can be on a moto compo in the in the corner, and I hit a patch of gravel on the little ten inch wheels, and I got total speed wobbles, almost completely lost it, but managed to recover. And then 
it definitely struggles on hills. It was. Is this your first motorcycle experience in a while? It is. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely ignited something back inside me. And people don't know what to do with it. You're riding it around. I was going to ask what reactions are like in Everyone traffic. expects it to be electric. Uh-huh. But you just have this plume of two-stroke smoke <laughs> coming out the back and this hilarious little noise it's making while you're sitting on what's looks like a briefcase. Two strokes so, are so sick. I, I, I got passed in traffic the other day by a, by an old Vespa, kind of a beat up, unrestored mm-hmm. blue two stroke Vespa. And the guy's shifting it, right? It's a manual. Tra- it's just, I'm like, that's baller. That's I, I like the new Vespas too, but it's so cool to see an old two stroke. If one. inner city traffic wasn't quite as sketchy, getting around on a scooter is just such a pleasant way of life. On the Moto Compo, are you in traffic or are you in the bike lane? Well, Maybe I shouldn't share this, but the thing about the Monocompo <laughs> is sidewalks become a lane. Yeah, totally. No, no, no. I For sure. They're, this one, because I think I need to have the carb cleaned, like they're supposed to go 25 miles an hour. Mine on like the flattest of roads is going like 17 and a half miles an hour. Oof, okay. So those those dumb little lime scooters that are now just uh-huh. trash in every major city. They're dusting you off. Those are like... <laughs> <laughs> kind of similar speeds, so I, I feel justified in some kind of random sure, sidewalks of course. Like that. Uh, there are these single speed, yeah, yeah. It's a okay, speed. gotcha. Fun stuff. I'm glad you have yeah, that. So, hopefully, I can bring that beast up to its full 25 mile an hour potential. Gotta get it, gotta get it up to max. What's max HP? What's the big HP number on that thing? Is it under 10? Oh, I think it's two and a half horse. Oh, it's two and a half, it's way less than yeah. 10. Amazing. And I think a horse technically makes two horsepower. Oh, interesting. So Horses are more powerful than they used to be. Yeah, don't ask me to walk you through that. <laughs> no, let's uh, walk away from that topic as quickly as we can. Uh, if it's okay, I'd love to, uh, not to shift gears too abruptly, but I'd love to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of your recent track experiences. You've been, as we were talking about before we we started recording here, you've been on quite a journey in the eight years that I've known you in terms of perfecting your driving skills, getting better and better, faster and faster uh, over the years that I've known you. And that included starting with open tracking. And now I think you've got a provisional racing license. Is that right? I did, but I went through the the easy way to get it. Which is? Uh, yeah, I recently did the Bondurant Racing School. They have a three-day and a four-day, both of which you get. I don't even think I have a provisional license. I think I just got referred for a full comp license. Oh, wow. So I can I Skip can right go. to the top. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The school is wonderful. The instructor. Yeah, you loved it. This so is what I wanted to get you talking oh, about. Man, yeah, I, I can go deep on some of this. Actually, yeah. And this uh, was bon- Bondurant has more than one location or is this the only Bondurant that's left? They have one location. They bounced around a bit. I think they're in Ontario, California, right. maybe in the late 70s, early 80s. And then they're at Sonoma Raceway. Right, I remember that. Up until the earthquake. And then right around there, they shifted. And I think that's when they moved to Phoenix and okay. the whole facility there. So, so you were down there and there's, you told me more than one track. Sorry, right? I keep calling thing? it Bondurant, but now it's Radford. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Most of the instructors are like old school guys right. and, and Bondurant loyalists. So it comes up back and forth. So yeah, the, the school is wonderful, but they really emphasize safety, learning the line, knowing the flags, awareness. Side by side. Back when I was learning how to race with NASA many years ago, it was, they did a lot of side by side exercises. Like what's it like to go through a corner? as fast as you can when a car is six inches from your door. There was less of that, which is why I'm a little blown away with, there were some people in the class, I guess I was surprised were there at <laughs> what you'd call graduation at the end. Uh-huh. Um, so imagining them just having their competition license and, and going out and wheeling, that's maybe a little terrifying. Door to door is 
crazy. Like I have memories of having cars on both sides of me, like pitching a car into a corner and not being able to see the outside of the track on either side. It's pretty disconcerting to be in that position. Oh yeah. I can only imagine <laughs> and, and hope to experience soon. So, and that was when you're racing pro seven. Yeah. Pro seven Mazdas. Yeah. They're a little first general. Uh, what is that? An FB, FBR X sevens. Nice. That was a long time ago. And those and- are live rear axle. Those are actually like a sketchy car, man right? i think that's where i learned so much car yeah live rear end I, I didn't know i was 20 19 20 years old me and and my partner that owned it and i we didn't know how to set up the car or anything and it was i mean you could barely catch it in a spin and it was probably because we didn't know how to set it up and slick tires and tire technology has come a long way since then too they were uh well they weren't a slick i mean they were comp tires they had grooves on them and as i recall the fast guys would like shave them down but we were so cheap we wanted to make them last as long as we could because it was like $400 for a set of these tires on for the 13 inch wheels. And so we didn't do that. Well, it is funny because for me, I always look to like the experiences you learn the most out of are ones like you had where, yeah, you spin it or you're forced to adapt to what's like but easier to difficult. do that when you're young and dumb. I wouldn't want to do that now. I mean, like I stopped racing in my early twenties. So I started driving street cars, like open tracking street cars, which was kind of novel back then. And I, what I'm curious about is how much that's changed because you've done a lot of that. And yeah, we'll get into that. I guess I was, I was just think it's interesting because I've always thought of that. And I was constantly like asking the instructors, like, what's a good tool to learn on? Mm-hmm. What? And they're all just go, go buy a Cayman GT4. Totally. Like, just buy the easiest one, get out there, go drive it. Yeah, I mean, that's probably smart. I mean, like seat time matters so much. But what, what I was going to say is by the time I was in my mid-20s and I had an S2000, which was like a stock streetcar and I had cheapo Kumo tires on it, I started to get scared of spinning. Like I used to spin all the time in that RX-7. And I've gotten more and more hesitant to do, like, I don't know, the older I get. So being young and being stupid I guess, is helpful. You still have a full cage in the yeah. RX-7 and an S2000 open top. I don't know if I ever like told you, you this rolling. anecdote, the reason we got, because you didn't even have to have door bars back then, as I recall. This is my high school buddy and I, we were in an auto shop together. We really wanted to buy a star Mazda, like the open wheel. Is that what became Formula Mazda? (sighs) See, you know the stuff better than I do now. It it was a fully winged car and I think it had a 13A in it. Like they later got put Renesis motors in these, the RX-8 engines, I think. But it was a pretty serious car, but you could buy them for like seven, eight grand in the, you know, this is, we're talking like early, very early 2000s, around the year 2000, 2001. Yeah, Star and, Mazda and Formula Mazda, they're synonymous. And then we went to an SCCA race and this French guy, I wish I remember his name. He's like, you do not want to, you know, you don't want to race that car. He's like, you want the car for people with the balls. And it was the Pro 7. And we bought ours for three grand from a Yahoo executive here in San Jose. And it was, I think, I think it's fair to equate it to what Spec Miata is now. It was like cheap. You could go to any junkyard, buy a motor for 50 bucks. Like we bought two transmissions Cars were super beat up. I mean, we just hauled it on an open trailer and slept in the bed of a pickup truck. It was really grassroots racing. But it was, yeah, I think a slow car, a car that didn't handle very well, whether that was our fault or not, unclear, was really helpful for developing those skills and also not knowing that we were ignorant, that we were were just doing our best. But man, I I spun all the time. I had some really scary moments in that car. On which tracks? Uh, the scariest one I've never been back was Big Willow, uh, for people familiar with that track. It's, it's in the Ford versus Ferrari movie. It's a famous old track, fastest track in the West, they call it. And turn eight and nine, if I'm recalling correctly, are two, like turn eight kind of blends into turn nine, turn nine's a right-hander back onto this front straight. And eight is this big high speed sweeper with its decreasing radius. And I spun backwards off the back of the track and I don't know over a hundred miles an hour, probably. And the glass hatch popped off like wind got under the back and it 
flipped up in the air and smashed on the track and we ruined everyone's day. It was anyway, those are the kind of things that I would be terrified to do now as a 40 year old, like, right. Like I wouldn't want to inconvenience people. I wouldn't, I don't well, yeah, want to spin. That's most traumatic to me, like <laughs> ruining other people's experience. We also had our, like we patched our coolant system up one time with like insufficient, uh, like radiator hose and it melted in the grid and all the coolant puked out and got on everyone's like brand oh, new slicks. Yeah. And like, you know, in hindsight, I remember being so embarrassed and thinking all the older, more mature people were mad at us, but everyone was pretty cool. Like we finished that weekend when the hatch popped off with no back hatch, like tech let us back out on the track. We just ran with no awesome. rear hatch on the car. <laughs> I don't see that's different. I don't know if people would do that anymore. I don't know if that would even be permitted anymore. I'm, I'm not, not talking trash about NASA. They were a pretty safety serious organization. Uh, no, NASA is still a very, very tight operation when I run with them. I mean, they, so the whole thing back then was when you do HPDE, it was to get a rate, like people were doing it not to open track, but to get a racing license. Like that's mm. everyone was like working their way up. And like, by the time you got to whatever the fastest group was blue or whatever it was, it was like the fourth group. That was a time trial I think I'm remembering this correctly. That yeah, was group a group fourth still. Oh, they still do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was like full wheel to wheel, just not competition, but they were, they were competing with each other just, you know, com or competing against themselves, right? Like for fastest lap. And basically once you got to that level, they would give you a racing license, but it was very observational. Like the instructors see you, they think you're safe. Great. You can go race. Well, in my experience, NASA still pretty much operates the same way. Interesting. Group one through four, you need instructor sign off mm -hmm. to graduate to each next one. And then. Yeah, if you get all the way to group four, I think you can just get a NASA competition license, yeah. which is different than the SACA license. But I think some organizations are accepting of, of other licenses. I think that's true. So what's the next step? What are you going to do with it? So I don't know. Yeah, I've been doing all these open track days kind of like. You've done a lot of them. Do you know, know roughly how many you've done? Probably done like 50. Have you done that many? I haven't done quite 50. I'm somewhere in the 40s, probably. It's sort of amazing, but then you're like, man, 40 of these, I'm still not that fast, you know? So, I, I, I could I could do a 500 events and I'm not going to be that fast. I'm limited by talent. So you, I don't just know, have to yeah, make, I, you have to make peace with that at some point. I get frustrated about like hitting a wall and how can I improve and right. then like, oh, or maybe I just don't have it in me. So yeah, I've been going with a coach a lot. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a humbling but enjoyable for the most part experience. I and bet you are fast, by the way. I don't know. So many people are so fast out there now. And that would be really interesting for you to see what it's like in 2024. But to me, that's intimidating. To... Also, the car, like just cars are so much faster. Like my little Civic Si daily driver is, it's so fast. It's probably the fastest car I've ever owned. Like not necessarily in a straight line, but on a back road, like my NSX couldn't keep up with that car. Well, that is another really interesting dynamic about open tracking now compared to 20 years ago because guys were you know if you had an e46 m3 in 2004 that's a fast car yes um, and and now guys still set up e46 m3s with a ton of tire and, and they're still pretty fast but just raw horsepower but i bet they're not, i bet they're considered a momentum car whereas like a 330 horsepower car to me is crazy yeah i mean uh most of what i was doing my open tracking in was it was a cayman r which is perfect tool for the job, right? 330 horsepower, a little under 3000 pounds, just like great car. And, and on the grid, it, it was kind of underpowered. I almost felt like I was in a scrappy car. Compared oh, man. To and that's tough. If the there. rich doctor and his Viper doesn't want to pull over on the straight, if you don't have an open passing, there's some <laughs> of that, but after you've gone enough and you're in every organization has multiple run groups and an interesting thing, I don't know if this is what it was like for you or not, but in the top run groups, the top two, they specify a lap time 
you need to maintain. Oh, if, if you want to run top group and you're not running, it was definitely more gut feel back in the I think day. It's I can tell you 140 that. at Laguna wow. for the top group, and it might okay. even be a little faster than that. Which is that's like a cracking lap, especially if you don't have a 500 plus uh, car. Yeah, they bump you down. Very few people were even timing their laps back in my hmm. day, right? Like, I mean, at one point, my buddy and I had a stopwatch for ourselves, but you could rent the transponders, and some people had them, and they'd zip time to the front of their car. I don't know if people still do that, but most people did not do that unless they were like, you know, at the point where they're like, okay, I'm about to start racing, and I really want consistent. I was just trying to survive and keep the car on the track, really. So I was slow, basically, yeah. is what I'm saying. Makes sense. I mean, and everyone's out there for like a different experience. Some get, totally. I always just use the like 18 holes of golf analogy where like, yes, yeah, some people are out there and think they should be on the PGA Tour and are right. doing so great. And some people are just having some fun with their buddies. Um, Everybody's having their own experience, that's for sure. Yeah, and all of us compared to Randy Popes around Laguna are slow for the most well part. that's the thing right like unless you're michael jordan uh nobody is the best right there's always somebody faster yeah so that's been that's been an interesting journey for sure and a little aimless and then i was like well, i guess i kind of want to like there's something like validating in the car world about all these cars are just so fast and feeling like you can more confidently exploit them and use them to their limits and also through that experience you're able to just like talk about them more intelligently totally. like totally and not fall into this like stereotypical, oh, it understeers at the limit kind of oh, language. Yeah, which is pretty painful. So yeah, learning more about how cars behave in different situations, what changes do to them and being able to like articulate and talk through that. It's like, and now we've lost 100% of our listener base. Uh, <laughs> but that's been like part of the fun for me also. Yeah. When you think back on, you know, your teenage self, your 16-year-old self, or even your 12-year-old self, I don't even know when you got interested in cars. Do you think that that person or, or at the age you did get interested in cars, did you think, oh, I want to be on track? I want to be or would that kid be surprised by what you're doing now? I think so. Like growing up, all that stuff. I remember seeing like photos of guys that went to high school, like on a racetrack in their high school car or whatever. And just being like, how did you do that? It was just so. Guys in your high school took their cars on track, like like drag strips or they were like on no, like going like, to Thunder Hill or really? even like autocross. I'm, I'm kind of like right of the internet generation, but it still seemed like hard to search around and find like where sure. I could go do this. And in, in the early 2000s, seems like magic a little bit. Like, how did you even get there? Like, yeah, exactly. So I was that? always like, that seems like something I'd like to do. Okay. I, I just literally don't know how to even start doing that. What kind of cars were high school kids taken to the track? Uh, my neighbor, which is still like a formative memory for me, he had a red E30 M3 and it was on BBS wheels, and he had some upgrades on it, a little Evo, Evo spoiler, um, and that was just his car for high school. And I what? I, yeah, I know. I was so envious. This is mid aughts, something like that, or late aughts, right? This would have been in yeah, two thousand four or so. Okay. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that car. And then I'll never forget. <laughs> I was chatting with him after he'd had it for a little while, and his dad had a black E forty six M three bunch of AC snitcher mods which was new and, at the time right this was like a hot yep. hot car yeah okay. and they had their pair of bmws and they're like yeah we're gonna take the e30 we're taking it to barrett jackson to sell Ooh, i know okay. it just cracks me up to think of them selling it and they're like yeah i think we might get 15 grand yeah and i had yep. like tears forming my eyes just trying to wonder how i could scratch up the cash to buy it so they sold that and he got a blue e36 m3 to replace it with and obviously put underglow on it um <laughs> 
Yeah, it was very of the period. That was um, not not a track car, I'm assuming. I think he did. He had some underglow at the track. His dad was actually an instructor, I think. And then they then they got like a 993 race car. Um, OK, so these are pretty serious people then. So, yeah, like guys like that. There are some people there's some some people I knew that had uh, what the Mini Cooper S at the oh, time sure. was coming out. Sure. Um, That's interesting. That's around the time I was open tracking, kind of racing sometimes, but mainly just going. I still was going to the track a lot. And uh, I remember that was when STI Subarus came out oh, and yeah. Evos. So you'd see a lot of those at the track. S2000s for sure. A lot of the instructors had kind of raced out E36 M3s because they were already getting cheap at that point in time. Right. So kind of track rat E36 M3s with big wings. Everyone ran big wings back then. I don't nice. like, like functional, but like really tall, like taller than the roof line. That hasn't changed much. Okay. Interesting. Cars and wings. Okay. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, those are the main cars I remember. Like the, people had older cars too, right? There were Mustangs and Camaros, like third and fourth gen. Trying to think of what else was there. There wasn't a lot. I mean, there certainly wasn't things like, like I remember one time a guy showed up in a challenge 360 Ferrari and it was like, people were like open mouth. And like, I think now that like they were agape, he had like a big transporter. I think he had two, as I recall, it was like a rich guy. And now that would be comp like, there's lots of supercars out there, right? Yeah. I mean, especially like all this localized to the Bay area. So sure. your, your track attendance may vary depending on where you go, but yeah, a lot of McLarens. The new Supra is super big out there. Oh, that's Guys interesting. Are, fast are they fast in those? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. Yeah, 370Zs were, or 350. 350Zs. It was 350Zs. Where there were a lot of those. I saw a guy, not a dig on Nissan. I saw a factory wheel spoke break at oh, yeah. uh, Button Willow one time, and that guy, the car went end over end. Anyway, sorry. I'm sure they're fine. Well, some <laughs> of those, those cars are fine because a lot of those cars have gotten pretty affordable yep. to go rip around and E36 M3s are still big. E46 really? M3s, a lot of oh. those, but yeah, new Supras. Modified new. on the E36, right? Like I, I don't think those cars would, they'd be almost a moving roadblock unless you had modifications. on. Yeah. Them. Some guys are, man, it, with, you can get a lot of tire on there. Yeah. And, okay. uh, that's another thing that like, Oh, tires are very different than they used to be. I bet too. That's a thing that's, I think changed a lot where not only are you guys bringing multiple sets of tires and wheels but yeah you can run 200 treadboard tires driving to and from yes. the track and the amount of grip you have over what is already like an yes. objectively great tire like a ps4s our uh, rx7 so there were 99 like stock non-turbo 996s out there and there um the other car i forgot is the c5 z06 was a big track car mm -hmm. and our rx7 with 125 horsepower was about the same lap time as a z06 or a 996 um, and that's all, was all in tire. And now I assume they would be, that would be very different because a street tire would provide some, remember how big of a deal it was that the C5 Z06 had one G in lateral grip. That was like such a big deal. Mm. It was the first street car for that. You're probably too young to remember that. That no, was a I huge deal in like, Oh, getting, three or whatever. We were an automobile mag family. I remember <laughs> oh, getting the RIP, RIP. hit a yellow long-term car. Awesome cars. Yeah. So yeah, still a lot of Corvettes, yeah. still every Porsche you can imagine. There's sure. a couple of guys locally that have F430s, which is pretty cool. You told me there's a guy who's out there who's real fast in an F430. Oh yeah, they, uh, both of them run top run group. Part of the appeal to me too is just like getting out and using a lot of cars kind of like they're intended. Like those F430s, they're pretty robust on totally. track. Um, and as long as you're not running carbon ceramics, the consumables aren't too bad. I think both the guys do the maintenance themselves and no kidding wow yeah it's it's just like a little more exciting unique option than like the sea of gt3s you see out there 
Can I do a quick sidebar? Oh, please. What is a supercar? What is a supercar? <laughs> I don't know if there's a firm definition or not, but I hear the term used extremely loosely and I'm confused. I don't know. I think I use it loosely also. I mean, it used to mean something. like Right. It feels like it, it means less now, especially because is a Civic Type R as fast as, <laughs> as fast as like a, you know, a 288 GTO? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Maybe. I, I think F40, 959... Like, right. That's even a Mira. Like all of those are clearly like a super car. I was going to ask what the and first then, one is. And I was going to posit the Mira. What is the first thing that could really be called a supercar? That's I guess for it. But man, um, is the Gullwing a supercar? I was just going to say maybe the Gullwing um, yeah, in the mid fifties. I would say so. I yeah. mean, sure. The performance changed a lot when American cars. I had a buddy tell me his dad was out driving like drag racing at Famoso in Bakersfield. Shout out Famoso. Like, Tri five Chevys in the late fifties. And this guy came out in a gullwing and all the like Bakersfield racers. This is like in the late fifties in period when a going was new, they're like, this is stupid. And he's like, and that guy came out and dusted people off with Amazing. like, what, what's the top speed of the going? Do you know? Uh, they have different gear ratios, but I think the one that's geared for the fastest speed, it's over 150, maybe even 160. Yeah. I mean, in the context of the 1950s, I mean, that just is a race car. Correct. Road. I read this in a magazine years ago about the president of Mercedes North America in the 60s going back to Germany for like a month to do something at the mothership and getting a Gullwing as a loaner. They weren't new anymore, but it was, you know, I don't think they could sell all of them, right? And so, and so he got one as a loaner and he said being on the Autobahn in the 60s when Germany was still recovering from World War II, so there weren't many cars out there. And most of the cars that were out there are Volkswagens and, you know, Mercedes with little tiny engines can only go 60 or 70 miles an hour. So Autobahn's not crowded and he's in a car that can legitimately cruise at 130 plus all day long. He's like, it's the best driving feeling I've ever had. You're just going 130 everywhere with no traffic. It's one of those beautiful moments too, that like you'll just never see again in history. Nope, it's gone. Now, yeah. Now every car can go over. Also the Autobahns are crowded, I think too, yeah. you know? And so it's like, that's it. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Isn't that amazing? I think about that all the time. So I don't know. Yeah. Supercar. It like, it's a term born out of a way to signify that one car's performance is greater or more unique than like more common cars. But now that performance that's a good, that's a good is so democratized, yeah. it's kind of meaningless. And then you get guys to talk about hypercars. Right, um, which is like, I didn't even want to bring it up because that's even maybe more meaningless. What is a hypercar? I don't know, a Pagani I think or something? People, yeah, use it to define cars like the Veyron is maybe the first what you'd call hypercar. Um, Koenigseggs, Paganis, all these cars that have performance that's just so well and above any car that you can obtain. But how much faster is that than whatever the hottest McLaren you can buy for 300 grand is? Like, that's also extremely fast, isn't it? And like a Porsche Turbo S, isn't a 992 Turbo S like two seconds to 60 or something? Well, it, it gets even weirder when you talk about like the second hottest McLaren, because that's like only a few tenths off of the hottest right. McLaren. So you wouldn't actually say it's that much worse. So <laughs> right. I don't know. It, yeah, it becomes kind of meaningless. But yeah. I, I think also there's some part of like now the performance has been more removed from it. And there's a like scarcity or production aspect where, yeah, the current Tesla Model S with the highest performance spec will dust them all to probably 100 right. miles an hour. Totally. Um, so yeah. I sound like such an old man. I'm like, my Civic Si is fast. <laughs> Civic Si is fast. Though it is funny, the horsepower on that car has been the same for 25 years. I mean, it's all relative to me, right? Because I only have, I guess this is true for anyone. I only have the experience of the cars. But the Si you drove in high school was 200 horsepower and your current Uh, Si is 200. uh, The one, it was 170, I think. 
but so different and no torque. But also that yeah. car actually wasn't even that much. That car was like 2,600 pounds and my new one's only like 2,900 pounds. They're still really light. I love Hondas. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Sorry. You know I'm such a Hondas and Porsches. I know. I subscribe to the same philosophy. Thanks to you. I'm such a partisan. What Sorry, did we settle what a supercar is? Do you? No, I don't think there's an answer. Is there okay, an answer? Good. What is it? If there's an answer, please email us at podcast at bringatrailer.com. Yeah, I would actually love to see it. I actually think you got pretty close with it being a car that's performance envelope is so far, you know, that's considerably outside of what the performance envelope is of even other performance cars, but that that means a lot less in the modern era of democratized performance, which I love that term, by the way. Other philosophical question on that, like, can a sedan be a supercar? I mean, totally. I, I'm thinking about all these things. Like, I mean, aren't M3s like 600 horsepower now? Um, I don't think they're quite that much. But Maybe. fast. And I bet with a dual clutch or even if they have an eight-speed automatic. And by automatic, M3, even... you mean M4, Alex? Oh, God. I don't, is it an M4 Grand Coupe? Is it an M4 that's a coupe, but it actually has four doors? So why is it not an M3? Anyway, I, I have M4 a... M4 Comp is 503 horsepower. Okay. But now you get into this thing where cars that have horsepower rated like what would be crank horsepower are actually putting out like wheel horsepower about that i mean everything's just so right. fast now right and a lot of stuff is and this is different when you know i come from the air when things were overrated but i hear that cars are underrated quite a bit they're actually quite a bit more powerful than you would think they are it's crazy uh, uh, totally crazy turbos man everything's got turbos i still like high revving na cars like you yeah one thing I thought we could do here at the end, and it's actually apropos, and I was biting my tongue when you brought up E30 M3s, is it was a question of the week. What are your favorite engine swap cars that were on BAT? And it got me thinking about a bunch of cars that I've really enjoyed on site. And then also you were talking about that 93 Accord that had a H22 in it. And oh, so yeah. I know you're uh, this is near and dear to your heart too. And I also thought I might prompt you by mentioning one of the first engine swap cars I worked on here at BAT when I first got hired to be an editor from June or July of 2016. So just a couple months after I got hired and it was that, do you remember, I bet you'll remember this car. It was an E30 M3 with an S52 swap and it was claimed by the seller to be the first S52 swapped E30 M3. Was it the kind of like wine? Yes, correct. One? And it um, had like a, it had like a cool looking aftermarket six spoke wheel I think about it. that car maybe on like a monthly basis <laughs> and it actually popped up for sale in Washington a same few car. months ago. Same car. Uh, the other awesome thing about that was it had a bar sticker. That's right. Part of why I still think about it. And, and I think it was built in 99, like one year after, or like the year the S52 debuted here. So they must, somebody must have smashed up their brand new E36 and they popped that motor in there. Yeah, somewhere between when we sold it and the current or new owner and owner in between, they kind of like gutted the interior. Oh. I know. And I think they put... It had a nice stock it. looking tan oh, interior. It was, it was perfect. Uh -huh. um, that was one of the cars I still fantasize about, like tracking down mm -hmm. and, and seeing what it looked like after. I was like, ah, too bad. Not not for me. Uh, that's a but, shame. Yeah, I think about that one all the time. Yeah. Here, I, I have it up if you want to look at it. Look at how good it looks. I was like, does it look as good as I remember? It does. <laughs> yeah, 1783 if anyone wants to Yeah, a lot. 1783. But S54 swapped E30 M3s, the, that's always been something I would love to do. Uh, I think S54 is just one of the great engines of our lifetime, in my opinion. Revs day grand sounds sweet. Like, oh my God, it's kind of savage. I'd no, forgotten how savage it is. Just super charismatic. Yep. And at least their faults are known and there's fixes right. for them. You know, and E30 M3s are relative to new cars there, but they're not that light. They're around 3,000 pounds yeah. and the S54 adds maybe 100. So... I don't know if you do the comp airbox, call it 350 horsepower in a 3,100 pound car. That's great, but it's not like 
scary power right. in my opinion. And it's revy power. You got to rev those car those cars up. I just bought my 996 before that and the S54 even though it's down on power a little bit compared to that 996 uh GT3 engine, it felt a lot more rowdy. Yes. <laughs> That's why I like them. That uh, another interesting power plant we had which was your motor. We had I think it was a Superlight, one of those track focused cars that you can buy off Is the shelf. Is that a supercar? Oof. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, some guy out there that's owning a 90s Mosler is advocating. Oh my God, the one with the turbo four-cylinder? Yeah. Is that a supercar? I mean, they had supercar performance, right? They were on par with... We we had a green one on offer from the original owner a few months ago, and I was like, how strong would that be if I Wait, the Mosler? Yes. It was, uh, I think, 92 or 94. It doesn't want to... Maybe it's not Mr. Mosler. Doesn't somebody from that company comment on the site? There's Somebody's definitely the guy that maintains the, the trademark database. Or, or the database. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. But I, I thought, could you imagine showing up to the modern track events around here in that <laughs> car and then actually turning pretty fast laps? Yeah, totally. People would be losing their minds. They totally would be. Yeah. You'd only have to go out for two or three laps to, to be the winner of the track day. But anyway, we had this, I think it was an ultralight or a super light, one of those, and it had a 996 GT3 engine in it. Which oh, no kidding. It's a pretty cool power plant. Is a C4 ZR1 Corvette a supercar? Oof. I don't know. It's weird to say that about like C2 Corvettes, I would say are supercars for the time. Yeah, I mean like a Fuley or or the, you know, six pack, you know, three, three, two barrels on a on a four on a four twenty-seven, the four thirty-five horse on a four twenty-seven. The Corvette is always like democratized supercar performance. I presume you're out there with C8s occasionally, or are they I'm assuming they're very fast. I haven't been, after my track car got crushed by a tree uh, at the top of my street, I, I haven't been in a few months, and there weren't a lot of C8s running this summer, but I bet this year we'll start to see more, um, especially the Z06s. I mean, it's just such crazy performance, even selling over MSRP. Even a C7, I'm sure, especially they, they made what? There's some with the big 7-liter NA engine, and there's also supercharged C7s. There's a lot There's a lot of track-focused C7 models. There's fewer, the yeah. It's, there's more of a European and Japanese car base here in Northern California than I, I think maybe middle of the country or East Coast. Sure. You might see more Corvettes. There's not a ton of them. One of my instructors that I'd go with, he has a C7 Z06. Um, so yeah, there's a few of them. And those are sure. supercharged, correct? They are. Yeah, okay. Some people complain of heat soak with the supercharged ones. I'm sure there's a fix. Oh, but gosh, I don't know. I know. You've already lost me. Yeah. I don't know anymore. Uh, I do worry about that, though. Do you do you see? So there were a lot of mechanical breakdowns. Sorry, we can still talk engine swaps if you want. But now I'm curious to grill you about track days again. I'll be very fast on this one. There used to be a lot of mechanical issues back in the day. Are streetcars better suited for track work these days? My guess is that they are, right? Manufacturers now know that people want to do this with their high-performance streetcars. Yeah, and also just... With the evolution of internet forums, it's like we're just talking about the S54, like multiple people are having the same problems and they're able to discuss them. And and right now with the new BRZ Toyota 86 is like the perfect example. They came out with the new one. Performance is great. looks great. Seems like the perfect off the shelf, brand new 30 grand car you can take to the track. And a bunch of guys are having oiling issues in high speed corners. Interesting. And they're solving it in real time. I'm actually kind of enjoying geeking out on the forums and watching it because guys are literally manufacturing new oil pans and going them and running them over testing and yeah, Yeah. reporting back on the forum and saying, Hey, I'm running a court high with this pan and no issues. Wow. That's kind of cool. I think that's changed a lot rather than just kind of word of mouth around the paddock. Yeah, I'm sure. Porsches dry sump. It's helpful to have that. 
uh, sorry, I cut you off earlier. I, I wanted to hear more motor swap cars that uh, that you had liked that had been on BAT. One that I always think about, and I'm sure you will remember, is the uh, mid-engine Accord. Do you remember that car? Somebody, they put a V6 in the middle of a 90s Accord. I remember the mid-engine Camaro. We oh, that's that. a cool one, too. I'd forgotten about that but one. But I don't remember a mid-engine It was almost like, a, like an R5 or like a Clio V6, but done Honda style. It was awesome. But talk about that Camaro because that was really cool. It was like a, I don't even know what to say. It's not a Pantera because that's a Ford, but it was like kind of, kind of had that look. It was like a squared off 70s looking deal. Yeah. Or it was a first gen Camaro, wasn't it? No, it was a, yeah, it was 67 or 68. Yeah, okay. Early car, had a little Mangusta look to it, you could say. Definitely unique. I mean, a lot of custom fabrication for sure. For sure. There's a Mangusta live right now. I love Mangustas. They're supposed to be terrible cars, but they are so cool looking. Uh, yeah, one that sticks out and was on my watch list was the, I think the Hoonigan guys did this, but it was a F-150 Lightning, Paul Walker, Red, you know. Oh, from the the original Fast and Furious, it's the shop shop truck. Yeah, of course. They put a 2J in it and a six-speed. Really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. thousand horsepower, crazy build. Man, that's kind of a cool idea. Although the motor in that truck is cool too, the uh, supercharged V. For sure. I always just appreciate when people put engines kind of like where they don't belong or where it's a totally surprise swap like did you see the c110 skyline gtr that's on the site right now and it has a l28 which is an interesting motor in there i think those cars look great with twin cam engines in them right because that's what they're supposed to have with a big wide head robbie Pyle and i were going deep shout out robbie on what motors would be cool in c110 uh skyline but i don't know we were talking about don't say vq uh, no, no, no. It's gotta be straight six. It's gotta be an inline. And it's in my opinion, gotta be twin cam to look right with the big, ideally with a crackle crackle finish on the valve cover. Right. I don't know. We were thinking up a bunch of different stuff. Um, I mean, there's RB this, is yes, like that's what he suggested. Obvious. The skyline motor, right? I think they're really um, tall. I, don't know I mean, those cars are built for having an overhead cam engine in them. Right. So there should be room. I would think, um, I thought I, I like sacrilegious swaps, so a, a BMW engine of some kind. I mean, how about an S54 in one of those, Ooh. right? That'd be interesting. Just any kind of a straight six, I think, is is the key. And ideally twin cam. Anyway, uh, it's a really cool looking Not car. an engine swap, but I'm loving all these late model Ferraris we're seeing with converted transmissions. I know. there was. I saw 575. Yeah, that's, I mean, because 575s are sort of a bargain for where they sell relative to 550s. They're so sick. They're such sick cars. I know. They're just like, it's one of those cars that I know people have been saying for a while. They're aging well. But every time I look at one, I'm like, man, it's just getting better and better. Like a fine one. And all of a sudden, like 599s, which don't really do a lot for me, honestly. Seeing that with a manual in it makes me pretty excited. Yeah, I agreed. Everything is more exciting with a manual. Why don't you like 308, Zach? Why don't you like 308 GTBs? That crushed me the other day when you said you don't like them. It's uh, funny as I'm staring at a 208 GTB. Oh, God, I like those too. Which is actually sweet. Um, I don't know. I just think 308s come from, to be diplomatic, an era that was maybe not Ferrari's best design language. I mean, the the cars that come before them are way prettier, and I like the cars that come after them better as well. So... I don't know why I'm exposing myself to this uh, publicly, but I uh, I love those cars, as you know. There's other cars from the 80s I'd rather have, I guess. Yeah, that's that's it's an acceptable answer. It's more 308 GTBs for me. I'm sure there's plenty of people who I'll have to compete with for those. Speaking of weird engine swaps, the Stansworks guy put a K24 in one of those, which is a very interesting I idea. Actually and something that, that I think you and I both agree is interesting. That's a good way to get to my actual fantasy swap is to buy an early Turbo Carrera project Do and tell. Put, a, put a K24 in it. What? I think, I think that would be. Has anybody ever done that in a Porsche? 
People have put K24s. There's one guy that I found online that put a K24 in like an 08 GT3, which is pretty what? hilarious. Um, I mean, does it can, go north south or does it sit sideways? Is it north south? Okay, yeah. so it's still rear engine. Mm-hmm. And they hook it up to the Porsche transaxle. What do I they don't do? Know what transmission they used for that? I mean, they they've got to use the Honda gearbox somehow, right? So K series were never. Sorry for exposing my ignorance here. They're, they were never in a rear wheel drive car, right? So you have to convert them no matter what if you want to put them in a north south layout. But I think it may work better in a rear engine car. Well, the 308 makes sense because it's a sideways motor. So you can put a front wheel drive powertrain mm. in there. But the making it north-south is weird. But if you're going to do it in the front of a car, which I know people have done yeah. to power the rear wheels, I guess you could flip that around and do it in a in a Porsche. That's really interesting. Anyway, an early uh, Turbo Carrera project, engine log on, shoving a K24 in there that's kind of built and revs to almost nine grand is... I, would love, be pretty I sweet. love turbo Carreras. I, oh, I, I, I just think they're also so just sweet. a normal turbo Carrera with the yeah, totally engine, uh, would, <laughs> would be, be just fine. Would yeah. be just fine. There's there's a I, there's like a million interesting things I'd like to do. I mean, I you know me, I like hot rods, so I've always wanted to build a, a 32 three window coupe hot rod, and I love a flathead. There's all kinds of interesting things you can do with a flathead motor. I've also fantasized about nail head buick motors in those also the little talk about putting a hemi in it. yeah the, the baby the red ram uh dodge hemi which is little it's quite a bit smaller than the famous chrysler hemi i believe the desoto hemi is two inches narrower and then the dodge is two inches narrower than that so four inches narrower so they're pretty little and they came as small as 240 cubic inch the red ram hemi but they also came in a 270 which i think is what i would like to go for but you can get speed parts for them you can put hillborn injection on them so i thought that would be cool because one of the problems with the hemi the heads are so big they stick out of the side of a hot rod. You can't have side covers on the motor, but with a Red Ram, you might be able to fit it in there with just little bumps on the side covers because I like having the engine covered on a hot rod. Mm. But I also love the idea of unconventional motors in a hot rod, you know, turbo four cylinders, straight sixes, almost anything interesting. I saw one time a guy put a, this is back to V8s, but a little baby one. He put a, oh God, what's the alpha with the little two and a half liter injected V8 in it? Montreal. Montreal? Put yeah. a Montreal engine, which is tiny and it sat way far back up against the thing. Sweet. With And it still had, I believe it still had Spica injection on wow. it. I know, little two and a half liter. It sounded crazy. So anything interesting in a hot rod, uh, we've had lots of, of that. We've had every single one of those combinations that I just, not the four cylinders, but we've had hot rods with Hemis in them. We've had uh, big and little, uh, including Red Ram Hemis. We've had hot rods with nail heads in them. That's kind of a classic. Tommy Ivo had a, a T-bucket with a nail head in it. So anything like that is exciting. And also, of course, people put, when they're more affordable, uh, people put Offenhauser four cylinders in hot rods back in the day, right? So any car with a motorcycle swap. Oh, that's interesting. On. There was, okay, speaking of weird open track cars, there was a guy I think it was a Geo Metro. There's a guy who used to bring out a car to open track days 20 years ago in Central California, Southern California. I think it was a Geo Metro. It was some kind of little economy car. And it had a 600cc motorcycle engine in the passengers, like next to him. So it wow. sat next to the driver. And I think it had a paddle sequential. I think you had to shift it sequentially. It had a motorcycle gearbox in it. But it screamed. And it was completely stripped out. So it probably weighed, you know, 1,400 pounds. It's crazy. All the leader bikes now make 200 horsepower. And the engine itself doesn't weigh a whole lot. Totally. So, so I, I think about anytime a motor is like the, uh, the BMW motorcycles have that one and a half liter straight six yeah. double of red cam. I mean, like I yeah. think all the time about what you could do with that. I mean, it's not set up for putting in a car, but would be an interesting. I know there's thing. this whole interesting world of just motorcycle engines. Yeah. What's the big Goldwing engine? It's a it's almost a, two it's liter a flat six cylinder. It's a flat six, right? That I don't know. But that in a 911? <laughs> <laughs> a Subaru, uh, a Subaru, um, 
SVX engine in a, in a 911? How about that? Well, yeah, one of these days, maybe if and when I'm actually fast, we can revisit and talk about more of what I've done and, and go deep on the open wheel experience, which was the last day of the Redford School. Oh, man. Driving great. open wheel is oh, it's so. Yeah, let's, we can save that one for another day. Um, well, thanks, Zach. This was awesome. Any, any parting shots? No. Browse the site. Tell us what's on your watch list. Reach out to us at podcast at. Tell us what you want us to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Supercars? They want the supercar discussion again? Yeah, probably the two of us to talk less and hear other people talk more. Yeah, well, everyone is in luck because uh, uh, Randy and Howard will be back soon with more interviews. But anyway, Zach, this was a a pleasure for me, if not for our listening audience. So thank you so much. Likewise. All right. Catch you later. All right.